All right, how's everybody doing? Hotep. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. It is Tuesday, April 24th, 2018. We're live. We should be broadcasting on Facebook. Just did uh, one broadcast. There was some technical difficulties, so hopefully this one will go all right. So I've been seeing uh, some articles about this story. The Grio.com, New York Post, I think AtlantaBlackStar.com had an article about this as well. And, you know, this is a case of uh, golfing while black, golfing while black. Uh, and th this story took place in uh, Pennsylvania, okay, um, at the Grandview Golf Club. And this is a case of uh, some African-American women who were golfing at this golf club. And there were some white men who uh, wanted to play on the holes they were playing on. And they were saying that they were golfing too slowly. So they called the police on them. Here's another example of, you know, white people calling the police on African-Americans. So let's look at this. TheGrio.com has an article, also New York Daily, uh, New York Daily Post as well. Uh, yeah, New York Daily Post also. Everybody share this uh, broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. How you doing, Cameron? I'm doing all right today, trying to make it happen. Uh, got a bunch of things I'm working on. Those in the Detroit area have two presentations coming up in Detroit. The first one is this Friday, August 27th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. in Oak Park, Michigan, at the uh, Crown Point Building, 25900 Greenfield Road, Suite 326. We're going to post the information here, and we'll jump right into uh, this topic here. It, I'm dealing with the role of black women in the film Black Panther. And also lessons from the film Black Panther, economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda the vote. All right, so we posted that information, and we'll have it at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, so here's the story. So a group of African-American women enjoying an outing at a golf club had the police called on them for allegedly playing too slowly on the golf course. Now, this is just happening about two weeks after we saw what took place in uh, Philadelphia at the Spruce Street uh, Starbucks, 1801 Spruce Street in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where police were called on two African-American men who uh, it was said they were there loitering. They weren't ordering. Right. And the police were called on them after they were there for two minutes. And go back and look at my broadcast of that. Follow us on our Facebook fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. OK because I did a few broadcasts dealing with that. So you had five African-American women. They said they were discriminated against at the Grandview Golf Club in Pennsylvania, and they were asked to leave, uh, and they had the police called on them for what they, what they said was nothing. This was reported by the uh, Associated Press. Now, the women said they were familiar with golf etiquette, since they are, are part of a larger professional group called Sisters in the Fairway, Sisters in the Fairway. And they were doing, and they said they were doing nothing wrong. You had a white co-owner of the club, a, a white co-owner of the club, uh, they explained, came up twice to rush them along and complain about how they were playing. But they picked uh, but uh, they picked the wrong women to mess with that day, according to the article. Now, one of the women 
one of the women, her name is Sandra Thompson. She is an attorney and the head of the New York chapter of the NAACP. Now, Sandra Thompson, who met with some of the women for a day of play, said the white, uh, said the white male said uh, they were not keeping up with the pace of the play at the second hole. She said, that's, she said that's not true. Another member of the group, her name is Sandra Harrison, okay? So we have Sandra Thompson and Sandra Harrison. Uh, Sandra Harrison said she told the man that they were fine and that they were keeping up. Now, golf etiquette calls for players to keep up with the flow of the play on the fairway. Slower moving groups must allow those behind them to move ahead if they are holding up players behind them. So at the different holes, I guess maybe they were playing 18 holes or nine holes, but at the different holes, you have to keep up the pace. Otherwise, the groups behind you are going to be slowed down. So the women said they fell in line with everyone else. The women then skipped the third hole just so uh, there would be no trouble. So there would be no problem. So it appears that there's some video evidence. Now, by the ninth hole, the women took a break, which is typical to do at that time. Okay, if you play the full courses, 18 holes, nine holes is halfway through. So it's, 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 it's typical to take a break at the ninth hole before moving on to the, to, to the next nine holes. Three of the five women decided to leave because of how they were being bothered earlier in the day. The remaining women, okay, which meant there were uh, two women left. The remaining women said former York County Commissioner Steve Cronister, uh, C-H-R-O-N-I-S-T-R, Steve Cronister, okay, um, uh, his son and uh, club owner, Jordan Cronister and several other white male employees uh, approached them and asked them to leave because they quote unquote took too long off a break, took too long off a break. So uh, Sandra Thompson took a video of the uh, uh, of, of the two Cronisters of the Cronisters approaching them before. Uh, the police arrived, okay? So the break they took, the women said, was the appropriate amount of time allowed. Sandra Thompson pointed out that they were, uh, that they were there, uh, pointed out that there were white men still chugging beer on a break who had not returned to playing yet. The women told the police uh, that they had been called, that the women were told that the police had been called on them. Now, one of the women, her name is my uh, Nika, uh, M-Y-N-E-C-A, my Nika, uh, Ojo, O-J-O. She told the New York Daily Record, uh, quote, I felt we were discriminated against. It was a horrific experience. Now, the Northern York County Regional Police, so this is, this took place in York County, Northern York County, it appears, uh, the Northern York County Regional Police did not charge anyone because they said a crime had not been committed. So if a crime had not been committed, why were the police called on these African-American women? Quote, we were called there for an issue. The issue did not warrant any charges. End quote, North York County Regional Police Chief Mark Bensel said. All parties left and we left as well. Okay, so there has been an apology issued as well. 
Now, still, see, I have to ask questions. So, so why were the police called in the first place? It seems like you have not all white people, but it seems like we're seeing more and more stories just in the past two weeks of white people quick to call police on African-Americans. OK. So J.J. Cronister, the wife of of uh, Cronister, who's the co-owner of the club, says she wants to make amends with the women and meet with them and to personally apologize. OK. Um, she, she said, quote, we sincerely apologize to the women for making them feel uncomfortable here at Grandview. Uh, that is not our intention in, in any way. Uh, she told the newspaper, the New York Daily Record. She said, we want all of our members to feel valued and that they can come out here and have a great time, play golf, and enjoy the experience, end quote. Now, Sandra Thompson, who was one of the five women there, said she's unsure if there needs to be a meeting when there's a larger racial issue that needs to be addressed. Sandra Thompson said she is unsure if there needs to be a meeting, uh, basically responding to uh, the uh, JJ, basically responding to the wife, uh, JJ Quanister saying, um, uh, we sincerely apologize to the woman for making them feel uncomfortable here at Grandview. That's not our intention, et cetera. So Sandra Thompson saying she's unsure if there if there needs to be a meeting when there's a larger racial issue that needs to be addressed. Sandra Thompson said, quote, there needs to be something more substantial to understand that they don't treat people in this manner. Now, the incident has also encouraged some celebrities on social media to voice their concern about the constant bogus arrests of African-Americans. Singer John Legend issued the plea on Twitter on uh, April 23rd, Monday, April 23rd, 2018, saying, please stop calling the police on black people who are just trying to live. Please stop. Police shoot us for no effing reason at all. Please stop. Okay. So this is John Legend. Now, New York Daily News, uh, New York Daily Post, I should say. New York Daily Post has an article uh, from uh, um, Monday evening, April 23rd. Golf Club apologizes for calling cops on black women members. Golf Club apologizes for calling cops on black women members. See, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out why did, were the police called in the first place? Why were the police called in the first place? Even if they're playing too slowly. So you're going you're gonna to arrest them for playing too slowly on the golf course? Okay, so... Uh, in this article here, it uh, recaps some of what we talked about, uh, but it, it, it does say it does state that at the second hole that the women were playing, they were apparently playing 18 holes. At the second hole, a white man whose son co-owns the club came up to them twice to complain that they weren't keeping up with the pace of the play. They're saying at the second hole, they got two complaints. Uh, and Sandra Thompson, who's an attorney and the head of the uh, York chapter of the NAACP told the uh, uh, newspaper it was untrue, okay? Um, so let me just uh, check something here. Yeah, she's the head of the York chapter of the NAACP. Okay, so um, the article goes on to say, uh, let's see here. 
Okay, so Sandra, so Sandra Thompson said uh, the man from the second hole identified as former York County Commissioner Steve Cronister, his son, club owner uh, Jordan Cronister, and several other white uh, other white male employees approached the remaining two women and said they took too long off a break and that they needed to leave the course. The women argued they they took an appropriate break, etc. Started filming. Uh, the men behind them were still on their beer break um, and not ready to tee off, as seen in the video Sandra Thompson gave to the newspaper. The women were told that the police had been called on them, okay? Uh, now, Northern York County Regional Police arrived, conducted interviews, and left without charging them. Uh, we were called there for an issue. Uh, the issue did not warrant any charges, Northern York County Regional Police Chief Mark Bensel said. All parties left, uh, and we left as well. All right, now, a phone listing for Steve Cronister rang busy on Monday. He told the York Daily Record he did not have time to comment on Sunday. Uh, Jordan Cronister's wife and co-owner of the club, J.J. Cronister, said Sunday she called the woman personally to apologize. Okay, she called them personally to apologize. But we sincerely apologize to the woman for making them feel uncomfortable. Uh, here at Grandview, that is not our intention, as, as stated in the article from TheReal.com. She says she hopes to meet with them to discuss how the club can use what happened as a learning experience and do uh, better in the future. Okay, Sandra Thompson says she's not sure uh about meeting uh she's not sure a meeting is what needs to happen right now she said there needs to be something more substantial to understand that they don't treat people in this matter end quote so we'll see what happens we'll stay on top of this uh not sure why the audio is going out uh but this is a once again this is an interesting story and you have police called on african-americans for basically no reason so 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 you wonder why okay all right so um we'll go to some of your comments here posting information here hey um if you like the type of information we share we have online courses that are on demand that i teach dealing with history we have a bundle pack we just posted the link there you register for that it's on sale sixty dollars there's about 10 courses there including ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, okay? Which is a seven-session, 14-hour online course deals with thousands of years of African history and African-American history. We're coming to your comments right now. Also, if you want to donate to the African History Network, that helps us to keep doing the research, keep broadcasting. We do the Sunday night show. We do these here, uh, Facebook Live broadcasts also. Uh, Donate at uh, PayPal. Our PayPal link is paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We just posted it. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Okay, so. Um, okay, let's see. Felix, uh, Felixia, Felixia Hodges said, why does, uh, why, why does the need to use this as a learning experience, how hard is it to realize that it's not okay to treat folks like this? Well, one, this goes to implicit bias. Two, also, this goes to the programming of the media. Now, I've been studying media for 26 years. 
And we have to understand that uh, a lot of the images of African-Americans in the media largely work against us. And we need to we need to go after these companies that put out negative imagery of us. We have to go after the local news stations that disproportionately run stories that show African-Americans as, as the perpetrators that are not that that don't uh, don't that are uh disproportionately greater than there are than the number of or the percentage of Af african americans that are arrested the local news stories that are shown uh has a big impact on the way different people perceive different groups of people and then stereotypes uh are allowed to be associated with these people and then policies are written based upon these falsehoods based upon these stereotypes. If we look at recent stories, we look at recent articles that we talked about uh, back from December, around December 13th, December 14th, blabbity.com had an article dealing with a uh, new study finds news outlets promote false negative portrayals of black families that don't match reality. New study finds news outlets promote false negative portrayals of black families that don't match reality. Despite government data disproving them, News outlets perpetuate stereotypes such as welfare queens and absentee fathers. Okay, so this is this is an article that people really need to read because this deals with a study from uh, colorchange.org and the family story. Okay, and and it found that news outlet uh, uh, news outlets uh, have had a significant hand in negatively skewing the perceptions of African American families. All right. And let's see, um, briefly here, um, the report argues that cons uh, constant depictions of African-Americans living in poor, welfare-depending and broken homes due to absentee fathers has created a negative image of African-Americans in general, has created a negative image of African-Americans in general. Uh, quote, the, uh, this leaves people with the opinion that African-Americans are plagued with self-imposed dysfunction that creates family instability and therefore these issues are all of their problems. Therefore, we don't need any policies to address these problems. What we need to focus on is, uh, is, is, is locking these people up. We need to focus on harsher sentences. We need to focus on harsher drug laws. We need more police in their communities to lock these people up. There's no compassion, okay? This is not seen as a issue that, so, so when, when so if you just look at the way pr Donald Trump, because I don't call him President Trump, the way Donald Trump talks about Chicago, he demonizes Chicago. He doesn't talk about sending resources to Chicago to address poverty. He doesn't talk about the rampant segregation that takes place in, in Chicago that segregates opportunity, segregates financial investment. What he talks about is sending more feds into the more federal officers into Chicago. He talks about the need for more police. He talks about uh, when he was uh, running for president, he was um, uh, at a town hall meeting that Sean Hannity had. Imagine that. We're finding more and more about the relationship between Sean Hannity, attorney Michael Cohen, Cohen and, and Donald Trump. But Donald Trump was asked the question, what would you do about violence in Chicago? He said he would bring back stop and frisk. Stop and frisk was ruled by a federal judge as unconstitutional. So why would you say you would bring back stop and frisk? He doesn't talk about the poverty. He doesn't talk about addressing poverty. He doesn't talk about the need for more opportunities in Chicago and addressing that, okay? But at the same time, when he deals with the opioid addiction, he doesn't say that the answer to the opioid addiction is stop and frisk in those communities where illegal drugs are, are, are running rapid, where heroin is running rapid. He doesn't say the solution to that problem is stop and frisk, okay? So what, this, what takes place when, when we have 
these false images and we have these these stories that deal with us and, and, and the way the media is is used to attack african americans what this does is this dehumanizes us this dehumanizes us and then says that the that the that the solution is a a legal a legal solution meaning uh incarcerate them over police them as opposed to understanding what the underlying underlying problems are white supremacy and racism poverty which comes out of white supremacy and racism segregation of opportunities lack of investment into these communities etc okay you don't take a humane approach you take a law enforcement approach but it, once again remember it was that part of donald trump's platform was law and order okay part of his platform was law and order okay the article goes on to say from blavity further these depictions can affect black families on a systemic level okay uh and um uh Tom, i think his name is thomas dixon he was uh the lead on this uh trace travis dixon um university of illinois at urbana champaign communications professor travis dixon travis dixon uh noted that uh the images can spark political rhetoric and the powerful buying into these narratives are what causes Congress to, to quote, gut social safety net programs, end quote, which they're trying to do right now. Um, bosses to, it, this also uh, causes bosses to implement harsher work and drug testing requirements and general disdain for welfare programs, okay? So your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create actions and behaviors, your actions and behaviors create results. We look at the article from the Washington Post, News media offers consistently warped portrayals of black families study fines. News media offers consistently warped portrayals of black families study fines. This is one of the reasons why it's important for African Americans to vote and to push our issues, to push put, push issues and, and, and support policies that positively impact us. Because when you look at policies coming out, especially out of, uh, out of a Republican-dominated U.S. Uh, Senate, and um, House of Representatives, right? When when they're talking about cutting the social safety net, when they're talking about cutting Medicaid, they're talking about uh, cutting Social Security, okay? All these things, these negatively impact African-Americans. We have to be very clear on this, but they're, but they're, but they're trying to push forth, the, push forth the notion and the stereotype that you have all these people just sitting at home on Medicaid, sitting at home on welfare, so they're trying to put work stipulations. And then also some of them are saying, well, we need to drug test people on welfare. Okay. When they've done that in, in various states, they found it was a waste of money because they found overwhelmingly the majority of the people who receive welfare assistance are not on drugs. The people who should be drug tested are the politicians who write and pass these stupid ass laws. That's who should be drug tested. Every elected official in this country should be drug tested. Because if so, so the argument that they're making. The argument that people like Paul Ryan, representative, uh, 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 Speaker of the House of Representatives, Paul Ryan from Wisconsin, the argument that they're making is saying, these people are accepting taxpayer dollars, okay? They're accepting taxpayer dollars, and because they're accepting, uh, accepting dollars from the federal government, because they're accepting taxpayer dollars, well, they should be drug tested, okay? Well, where does the money come from to pay the elected officials? That comes from taxpayer dollars also. So if you are accepting, so if you're gonna say that welfare recipients should be drug tested because they are accepting taxpayer dollars, 
then elected officials should be drug tested as well because you're being paid by taxpayer dollars also. And what, what elected officials do has a more detrimental impact on everybody in that city, that county, that state, or the country because welfare recipients don't make public policy, whereas elected officials do. So even if elected officials weren't paid by taxpayer dollars, the simple fact that they're writing policies that impact the whole, they should be drug tested also. News media offers consistently warped portrayals of black family study fines. December 13th, 2017, uh, uh, Washington Post. It talks about how major media outlets routinely present a distorted picture of black families, portraying them as dependent and dysfunctional, while white families are more likely to be depicted as sources of stability, according to the report released Monday by Color of Change, a racial justice organization and family story. Okay. It, uh, and and uh, Travis Dixon said this leaves people with the opinion that black people are plagued with self imposed dysfunction that creates family instability and therefore all their problems. Now, such stereotypes fuel political rhetoric and inform public policies such as Congress consideration to gut social safety net programs. Okay, we talked about that. Poverty and welfare were not always stigmatized in the media as a predominantly black issue. Now, this is extremely important because see, what you read, see, and hear affects the way you think, feel, act, and behave. Your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create actions and behaviors, your actions and behaviors create results, okay? So poverty and welfare were not always stigmatized in the media as a predominantly African-American issue, the report stated. White men who benefited from the anti-poverty programs in the 1920s and 30s were typically thought of as having, quote, run into hard, run into bad luck, run into hard luck, run into hard luck. And they just needed the support to, quote, help them through the hard times, end quote. Now, over time, however, political leaders and the media have worked to pathologize black families in the American imagination to justify slavery, justify Jim Crow, justify mass incarceration, justify widespread economic inequity and urban disinvestment, as well as to gain and maintain political and social power. So this deals with how the imagery that's fed to people through the media impacts the way they think, feel, act, or behave, impacts the politicians they support, impacts the policies they support, the policies they vote for, et cetera, which has a wide-ranging implications, a wide-ranging, a wide-ranging impact on African Americans. All this is interconnected, interrelated. This is why when we have TV shows that negatively depict us, depict us as stereotypes, things like this, just like Empire, we need to go after those advertisers and let them know, wait a second, African-Americans spend this amount of money with you on a yearly basis. This is how these shows are negatively depicting us. Now, do you support this? Because if you're going to keep supporting this, we're going to withdraw economic support from you. We're not going to finance our own dehumanization. Okay, so um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this uh, in uh, this case coming out of York County, Pennsylvania, dealing with uh, 
the police being called on these African-American women. They weren't arrested because no crime was committed. Why'd you call them on them in the first place? Or were you just trying to assert your authority? The, 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 the white men that called the police on these African-American women, were you just trying to assert your authority? Is that, is that what it was about? So Dwayne on Facebook said, I'm an avid golfer. And where there is a standard of pace of play, this is simply another example of ignorance, racism, and sexism uh, on the part of the jokers and management uh, staff that called the cops. Um, let's see. Let's scroll back here. Georgia said this behavior would not stop until white people are held accountable for making false calls to police. Keisha said, please don't tell me they are going to forgive them. Um, let's see here. I don't know if they're going to forgive them or not. Uh, Michelle said, we need to have our own establishment, golf, restaurants, shopping malls. Yeah, I, I'm all for that, but that doesn't confront white supremacy. You have to confront white supremacy head on, let them know, look, this is not, this is, no, this is not tolerated. Because those same people will vote for those same people will vote for people like Donald Trump, who is changing the uh, who, who's changing the landscape of the federal bench and nominating very conservative young white male attorneys, and that's a that's a lifetime appointment. Okay, if you look at what he's doing to the Environmental Protection Agency with Scott Pruitt over the EPA. They're, they are reversing uh, regulations that President Obama had in place that are going to have a negative impact on the environment that African-Americans live in. If you look at what Betsy DeVos is doing with the uh, Department of Education, I mean, just uh, I didn't get a chance to talk about this Sunday night on my show, but you look at the article from April 20th, New York Times, DeVos Education Department begins dismissing civil rights cases in name of efficiency. That's Betsy DeVos, number one, is anti-civil rights. They're gutting the Civil Rights Department at the Department of Education, Environmental Protection Agency, and the Department of Justice that I know of. There are probably some other, other departments where they're gutting the Civil Rights Department. The Education Department's Office of Civil Rights has begun dismissing hundreds of civil rights complaints under a new protocol that allows investigations to disregard cases that, that are part or that are part of serial filings or that they consider burden, burdensome to the office. Department officials said the new policy targeted advocates who flooded the office with thousands of complaints for similar violations, jamming its investigation pipeline with cases that could be resolved without exhausting staff and resources. But civil rights advocates worry that the office's rejection of legitimate claims is the most obvious example to date of its diminishing role in enforcing civil rights laws in the nation's schools. Liz Hill, who's a spokeswoman uh, for the education department said the new provision was part of the officer's revision of his manual that lays out procedure for processing civil rights cases. The goal of the new manual, which took effect last month, is to help the office better manage its docket investigations and resolutions, she said. Okay, but you have, um, uh, now, Catherine E. Lamont, who led the Office of Civil Rights under the Obama administration, said the new provision undermined the mission of the Office of Civil Rights in the first place. 
Un unlike the Justice Department, the Education Department cannot pick and choose the cases it pursues. If the office has evidence that the law has been violated, it must open the case. Catherine E. Lamont said, quote, the thing that scares me is when they get to say, we won't open some cases, but it's too much for us. We won't open some cases because it's too much for us. Or they may say, we don't like the complaint, or it's not our week to work on that. You start to change the character of the office, okay? See, see, this is an example of how elections have consequences. That's taking place right now. This is an example of how elections have consequences. Okay, so uh, Dwayne said the average golf course construction costs upwards of $25 million for a championship par 72, 72 course. Uh, I think it's past time that we pull our resources together and create our own golf courses and establishments. Yeah, you can do that, but you're still going to have to confront white supremacy and racism. This is what we have to understand. Just having our own everything does not confront. You got to confront head on. Straight. You have to confront head on straight up white supremacy and racism and let them know this is not going to be tolerated. Okay. Otherwise, there are going to be consequences and recourses because consequences and repercussions because we will withdraw economic support from you. We will vote you out of office. We're not going to support these policies. Okay, so we have to make we have to make it very clear that this is not going to be tolerated. Um, Delana said, "I don't call him pre President Eda Shyhan to utilize HUD funding uh, in a multi-million dollar deal." Yes, and and Trump is against HUD. This is why Trump has uh, Ben Carson over HUD to destroy HUD because. Um, uh, Donald Trump and his father, Fred Trump, in 1973, they were sued by Richard Nixon's uh, Department of Justice for housing violations or for, for not renting apartments to um, African-Americans and Hispanics in uh, Manhattan. So they settled out of court and then they were sued three years later because they kept doing the same thing. OK, Keisha said, too bad most of us didn't go out and vote. So Trump won. Then again, does it matter? Things wouldn't change. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Things things would have been much different under Hillary Clinton. Number one, people should read policies. See, I read policies. I do research. I'm not somebody that just comes on here and do Facebook live broadcast because I have nothing else to do. If you went to her website, HillaryClinton.com, read her 36 policies, and then went to Donald Trump's website, DonaldJTrump.com, his campaign website, where there's 13 policies because I did both. Her policies were much better than hers. She had a criminal justice reform program. He did not. She had a program to make education affordable. Trump does not. Not only that, Hillary Clinton largely would have kept in place policies that President Obama had in place. Trump has reversed over 100 policies President Obama has had in place. Most people don't know under President Obama, December 2015, the U.S. prison population dropped to its lowest point in 20 years. It dropped to 1.53 million from a peak of about 2.5 3 million, it dropped 800,000. It dropped by 800,000 U.S. prison population. The war on drugs was winding down under Donald Trump, I mean, under President Obama. It's been ramped up under uh, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, who's against legalizing any type of drugs. He's against legalizing marijuana. He's, he's, he, he said, he, he, said he, uh, he thought the Ku Klux Klan, uh, he thought they were pretty good until he found out they used marijuana. All this stuff is being reversed under Trump. I don't know what people, I don't know where you get your information from. I monitor about 40 different news sources on a daily basis, everything from Washington Post, New York Times, Baltimore Sun, 
uh, USA Today, thegrio.com, thenation.com. If you look at some of our Facebook posts, we Facebook posts at the African History Network, we provide the documentation. So, so when I hear people say, "Oh, things would have been the same under Hillary Clinton," you obviously don't understand policy. You obviously don't. You obviously don't research policy. Because if you just look at, for instance, President Obama's initiative, August 2016, he said that they were not the, the federal government was not going to renew contracts with privatized prisons, uh, uh, which which, which um, uh, for federal prisoners, which uh, uh, impacted 12 prisons. Right. Trump has reversed that. Why did Trump reverse that? Because Core Civic, which used to be called Corrections Corporation, Corrections Corporation of America which is the largest owner operated privatized prisons in the country. They're trading on the, on the New York Stock Exchange, the New York Stock Exchange symbol is CXW, and Geo Group donated almost $600,000 to Donald Trump's presidential campaign. This is why March of, two, this is why, uh, March of uh, 2000, uh, either 15 or 2016, when he was interviewed by, uh, I think it was March 2016, when he was interviewed by uh, Chris Matthews on Hardball on MSNBC. Donald Trump said privatized prisons seem to work pretty well and they seem to save money. They don't do either one. Privatized prisons don't work very well and they don't they don't save money and they, they tend to have more human rights violations and more violations in general than state run prisons. OK, but they're publicly traded. Privatized prisons are publicly traded on the stock exchange. And they are profit driven. OK. So we need to understand policy. We don't understand policy. And politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, and resources, and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, the, uh, uh, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. We don't understand how politics impacts every aspect of our life. You look at the investigations into the patterns and practices of police departments. Jeff Sessions said they, they aren't doing any more of that. You had 25 under President Obama, which resulted in about 40, 14 or 15 consent decrees. They're not going to do any of that. Trump and Jeff Sessions are hands off on the police. That, that is devastating. That is, that is devastating for African-Americans. Okay, so people people really, really have to understand this. All this stuff is being reversed under Trump. And while people are busy watching Love and Hip Hop, while people are busy watching Cardi B being ratchet and distracted by that, all this stuff is being reversed under Trump. Okay. And this is why midterm elections are so important, important. November 6, 2018. This is why midterm elections are so important. And people need to down people, people really need to download uh, the agenda. Uh, we have a lot to lose from the Congressional Black Caucus, CBC. We have a lot to we have a lot to lose from CBC.gov. Uh, solutions to uh, solutions for 21st century black families. This is the 125-page agenda that uh, the executive committee of the Congressional Black Caucus presented to Donald Trump March 22nd, 2017. This is the 125 page agenda. That's not just for him, that's for us. Because they, they lay out policies in there to address the problems that they're talking about and it shows you how policies impact conditions. cbc.house.gov. 
It's called We Have a Lot to Lose. We have a lot to lose at cbc.house.gov. Okay, everybody needs to download that and read that. It has elements that every African-American organization can use to create a powerful agenda so we can push these issues at a local, county, state, and national level. All right, if you like the information that we share here at the African History Network, uh, a couple of things you could do. Number one, if you want to donate to the African History Network, help us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, help us pay the bills, because this stuff is, this stuff is not cheap. It's, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of, I mean, I got to pay bills to learn. I got to pay for the online school. I got to pay for Crowdcast. Crowdcast is acting up, wasn't working right. That was the technology I was using, all that stuff. They send me bills each month to pay for all this stuff. Blog Talk Radio, got to pay them each month. So you can donate to the uh, African History Network. We set up our new uh, PayPal link, paypal.me, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Stands for the African History Network show. Paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Um, if you want to uh, register for the online courses that we teach, that I teach, they're on demand. We have a bundle pack. They're on demand. Uh, it's the best value. Uh, we have us, um, it's uh, about 10 of them in the online course, well, in, the, in the bundle pack for $60. We have them discounted for a little while longer. That includes Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. Uh, and they're all on demand. You can watch from around the world. They're all on demand. Uh, we just started uh, a 48-hour sale yesterday. We have a, a new bundle pack of uh, DVD presentations, my DVD lectures, and some documentaries. It's the uh, Black. It's the eight DVD Black Panther bundle pack. It includes the 1804 documentary, Elementary Genocide Three, Black Friday Part Two, and five of my presentations, including two of my lectures dealing with the film Black Panther. Okay. Uh, that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. That's on sale. How much is that? This uh, this eighty dollars is regularly one hundred thirty dollars on sale. Eighty dollars right now. Okay, Yolanda said uh, these racists uh, know the racist cops will shoot us or arrest us for no reason. So now they are having the racist law enforcement on speed dial, and and they calling uh, on a daily basis. Uh, Carol McCurdy said, "I hope they do not uh, meet with anyone from the golf club." As usual, they just want to ask for forgiveness because they believe that gives them absolute uh, absolution uh, from their inhumane acts against us. My question would be, why were the police called in the first place? David Neely, how you doing? How much are the courses, Joan? Uh, we have a bundle pack of the courses for $60. It's uh, about 10 of them in that particular bundle pack. Uh, Joan, uh, I just I threw a bunch of extra ones in there, okay? And then you can also go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com as well, but we posted the link there. Uh, let me see. Keisha said we would have our own communities and businesses. They stopped burning it down. Well, they didn't burn all of them down, one. Two, even with Black Wall Street, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we rebuilt Black Wall Street after the race riot that took place June um, 
June 1st, um, 1921. We rebuilt Black Wall Street after the race ride. One of the things that really impact, negatively impacted us uh, were the U.S. Interstate Highway Acts in 1952 and 1956 that drove 41,000 miles of U.S. Interstate Highway throughout the U.S. and they ran through African-American communities, wiping out a lot of our businesses. Uh, Jones said, true Willie Lynch knew. Well, Willie Lynch never historically existed, so we, need to, we don't need to talk about Willie Lynch. The Willie Lynch letter was written by Dr. Kwabina Ashanti in 1970. He came out and admitted the words in the Willie Lynch speech that did not exist in the early 18th century in 1712. And also there were words in the Willie Lynch letter, the way they were used in the letter supposedly taking place in 1712, those words were not used at that point in time. So Willie Lynch letter never historically existed. Willie Lynch never historically existed. It's a, it's a fraud. Dr. Kwabina Ashanti wrote it to show us how we're acting like slaves. But this, to me, has done more harm than good. If you understand real African history and African-American history and how people are still looking to this myth, thinking that it's real history. That's, you know, that, no, it's not. It's not really, it's never historically existed. Now, some people may say, well, you talk about the film Black Panther. Black Panther is myth. Black Panther's not real. Black Panther, but Black Panther has African cultural influences. And Black Panther is dealing with Afrofuturism. But there's African history related to the film Black Panther. There's a lot we can learn from that. And also, we understand that when we talk about an African nation that's never, never been conquered, that's Ethiopia. Ethiopia was never conquered. They were never colonized. That's Ethiopia. You have the Battle of Attawa in 1896, uh, Emperor Menelik II fighting against the Italians, and then uh, we have Haile Selassie fighting against uh, uh, Mussolini. Uh, 1935, the Italians come back and occupy, and they're defeated in 1941. Uh, Ethiopians defeat them once again, okay? If you talk about you talk about vibranium, which is the hardest metal on earth and fuels their technology. Well, that's similar to coltan, which comes out of the Congo. And Europeans are in the Congo right now fighting over coltan, which is a mineral that's used to fuel that used to fuel technology. It's used to make technology work. Everything from cell phones to uh, laptop computers to PCs, all that. They, they need coltan to work. So there are parallels that we see from the film Black Panther. There's African cultural influence from the Dogon, from, uh, you, you have cultural influence from uh, the Indebele of uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe, African cultural influences from the Obahimba and Namibia. We see, we see all this in the film, okay? The film is extremely powerful. And even when you deal with uh, the first issue, issue uh, 52 of the Fantastic Four that the Black Panther debuted in July 1966, Okay, uh, in there, in the, when when you read it, he's uh, T'Challa says he's probably the richest man in the world. Well, the richest man in the world was Mansa Musa of the Mali Empire, became emperor in thirteen twelve A.D. He's the richest man in history. This is this is the African man. So even in the story. It relates to African history and culture, if you understand African history and culture. Now, if you don't understand African history and culture, you're going to be lost and think it's just a comic book turned into a movie. If you understand African history and culture, you're going to see these parallels in it. This is what I did with in my presentation. So Friday, April 27th, 2018, in Oak Park, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit, 
I'll be doing a presentation 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. I'll, I'll do two presentations. First one is the role of black women in the film Black Panther, the role of black women in the film Black Panther. Because um, we see African women not as the damsels in distress in the film, but fighting side to side the man fighting to protect Wakanda, fighting to save T'Challa, okay, Chadwick Boseman's character. So we deal with a number of different things there. And then also, uh, we even talk, we'll, we'll even talk about Ruth Carter, because Ruth Carter was the costume designer. And this sister did a lot of research on African culture to infuse the African culture into the film. And then we'll talk about um, lessons from the film Black Panther, lessons from the film Black Panther, economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda the vote. Economic guerrilla warfare, political self-defense, and how to Wakanda the vote. So that's taking place uh, Friday, April 27th, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. at the um, Crown Point Building, Oak Park, Michigan, 25900 Greenfield Road. It's a uh, office building, 25900 Greenfield Road, Suite 326. Free event donations accepted. We'll get that information at our website today, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And then Sunday, May 6th, I'll be doing a presentation at uh, Nandy's Knowledge Cafe also. That's my that's my big presentation, this analysis of the film Black Panther. That's Sunday, May 6th, uh, 2 p.m. to 6 p.m., okay? All right. Let's go to some more of your comments here. I'm going to get out of here. Um, Okay, will the lecture be streamed? Uh, no, I don't think the, I don't think that lecture will be streamed, Frank. Uh, oh no, the presentation um, lessons on the film Black Panther that's available at our website AfricanHistoryNetwork.com right now. That DVD is ten dollars. Okay, because I did uh, I recorded that Friday, this past Friday I was doing a presentation because uh, I was speaking Friday and this past Saturday. Uh, oh, by the way, okay, I will not be in Cleveland this Sunday. August 29th, I was supposed to be in Cleveland, speaking at the Cleveland Natural Hair Care Expo. That fell through. I will not be in Cleveland. I will be on the air Sunday night, the African History Network show, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on 9, 10 a.m. the Superstation. Are your presentations going live? What do you mean, Joan? Are my presentations going live? What do you mean? Uh, Marvel never did damsel in distress in the first place, Frank. Frank said, well, what do you mean? Because uh, wasn't Snow White a damsel in distress or Cinderella? You know, but Black Panther, the African women are side by side. These African women are brilliant. You got Shuri, who's like about 16 years old, the younger sister to T'Challa. She's the one creating all this technology. She's an engineer. She's a wizard. She's, I mean, she's, you know, not, not wizard in, uh, Harry Potter top wizard, but she's a wizard, a whiz when it comes to engineering. She's the one who creates all this technology. She enhances his suit. So his suit spreads over his body from the necklaces. His suit operates based upon kinetic energy, which stores energy bullets shot at it and punches and kick, stores energy, and he can release it at any time. Dr. Claude Anderson talks about the Willie Lynch con concept. Yeah, uh, well, Dr. Claude Anderson back in 2013 at the uh, 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 National uh, Black Theater in Harlem, New York. I have the video of him. He admitted that Willie Lynch never historically existed. He said, 
He said, stop talking about Willie Lynch. He said, I've searched everywhere. I can't find Willie Lynch anywhere. So in 2013, Dr. Carl Anderson admitted Willie Lynch never historically existed. He's correct. He did not. Um, okay, Ra said, uh, Ra Almighty said, are you for the nation building with the new Black Panthers and Moors? They're talking about claiming Florida now. Uh, I'm not familiar with that. I'm not familiar with that plan. Um, if people want to do nation building, that's good. Now you're gonna you're gonna need a um, uh, you're gonna need a real realistic viable plan, and you're gonna need some resources from nation building, especially if you're talking about nation building, and you're talking and you're not talking about getting government help, government finance, and government investment. Okay. Um, so they're talking about Florida. I'm, I'm not familiar with their plan. What about Rosewood? Ro Rosewood was in Florida, was right, wiped off the map. But all, all the communities we had were not burned to the ground. We need to stop saying that. All the communities we had were not burned to the ground. Some of them go out of existence for different reasons. Once again, Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which was the most prosperous after the race ride, June 1st, 1921, we rebuilt, we rebuilt Black Wall Street with our own dollars. I've, I've done a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the history of Black Wall Street. I'm in the documentary about Black Wall Street also from uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Resurrecting Black Wall Street. All right. So a lot of people really haven't studied the history of Tulsa, Oklahoma and Black Wall Street. We rebuilt that after the race ride. We rebuilt it with our own dollars because we didn't get government help. All right. Um, Okay. Let's see. Jamie said, this is all theatrics right now. There's a much larger plan behind the scenes. Follow Kanan, which tells us what's taking place a week or more before it happens. I don't know what you're talking about, Jamie. What are you talking about? Joanne said, marijuana, when used correctly, is more beneficial and money-oriented poisons. Oh yeah, it has uh, uh, um, cannabis or marijuana as the Spanish name, because the, the name marijuana comes from Mexicans. It was called cannabis or hemp before Mexicans started coming to the U.S. in the early 1900s. It was grown as a crop. It has medicinal purposes. It was made illegal in 1937 because Harry J. Anslinger, who was the uh, first chair of the National Narcotics Commission, went on a campaign to make it illegal, okay? And they put out propaganda. He wrote articles. They put out propaganda uh, talking about how it made people violent, things like this. But, he, but in, his, in his congressional testimony, he lied and he said that marijuana uh, made uh, white women crave black men sexually when they were high on marijuana. Okay, this is this this is what Harry J. Anslinger said. This this is not me saying this. This is this is what this is what he said. Okay, uh, so when you study the history of marijuana and why it was made illegal, it had to do with race and racism. Okay, uh, Timeline.com has a good article. Timeline.com: Hi, racist hate monger masterminded America's war on drugs. 
how a racist hate monger masterminded America's war on drugs. Harry Anslinger conflated drug use, race, and music to criminalize non-whiteness and create a prison industrial complex. All this deals with laws and policies and politics. He talked about how marijuana was used by jazz singers and Negroes and Filipinos and Mexicans, things like this. As long as white people were using marijuana, as long as, as long as white people were using cannabis, it was okay. The problem came when people of color started using it. Now, now it's a problem. This is why you have to understand history. So when you have, when I listen to radio shows and people talking about why marijuana should, should not be made legal, I'm like, marijuana should have never been made illegal in the first place. That's the first question you should ask yourself, not should marijuana be legal? The question you should ask yourself is why was it made illegal in the first place? It had nothing to do with it causing brain damage or none of that. No, it was about who was using marijuana. Okay. All right. Look, we got to get out of here. Hey, remember at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. Right now, let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.